0: So, let's go ahead and get started this morning. Um, in 6th or 7th grade, when my oldest son was in 6th or 7th grade, um, uh, he came to my, my wife and I and said, you know what, Mom, Dad, I'd like to have this, uh, this jacket. A, I looked at it online. Well, hey, it was a cool looking jacket or whatever. But I'm like, hey son, uh, we already kind of got you this coat, so um, that's going to do the trick for you when it comes to warmth. So if you want this jacket, you'll have to earn the money for it and then pay for it for yourself. Yeah, we're we're kind of mean parents like that, I guess. And uh, so that's what he did. He got on it. He started pulling weeds in, the, in, the, in people's yards, mowing like he does, that kind of stuff, got the money, money together, ordered it, and he got it in. And I tell you, after he got it in, he would not stop wearing that jacket, right? I mean, morning, noon, and night, he had that jacket on, kind of a little pride in his step type of thing, a little pep in his step. He wore it to school, he'd wear it to church. Everywhere he went he would wear this jacket and he'd wear it really proudly because he earned it, right? So, not much uh, longer after uh, he bought that and started wearing it around we started actually getting uh, uh, conversations from other parents from his his schoolmates saying, where did Mason get that jacket? My my son has been talking about that jacket. He, He really needs that jacket. So, well, we got it off Amazon. I'm not sure if there's any more or whatever, but the reason being, I think that he wanted that jacket was because you know, he, they wanted what, what Mason had, that the kind of pride in, in wearing that. So uh, today's 10th commandment is you shall not covet your schoolmate's jacket, okay? <laughs> right? Or let's go ahead and read it for the real thing. Verse 17, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covet really isn't a word that we use very often. And I know for me, if it's outside of the 10 commandments, I usually don't use it in everyday life. So the, the meaning of coveting is very simply yearning to possess, seeing something or someone. or And I say, you know what? It's more than just a want. It's I have to have that. It's more than just a, you know, it'd be nice. I kind of want a bowl of ice cream after dinner tonight. It's more than a want. It is that yearning. Like, boy, if I just had that, that'd be it. That's, that's all I need. I just need that one thing. So while the 10th commandment implies that, you know, don't covet anything, it does list some things, a few things in particular. There are some things that we could have and there are some things that we can never have. Some things that we could have, uh, like uh, it tells us not to covet uh, your neighbor's house, uh, your neighbor's ox or donkey. And and as a pastor here today, I can honestly come to you with a clear conscience that I have never coveted for another man's donkey, okay? (laughs) Ever, ever. So not only things that you you could have, but also things you you can never have. Your neighbor's wife you shouldn't covet. There there are many lists on both sides of the... uh, both sides of the commandment, but we shouldn't covet anything. Out of all the commandments, this commandment was probably voted least likely to get you arrested, right? Uh, If you look at the other ones, they seem much, much, much worse, like don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. But on the other side, there's coveting. Like how can you even, like would would a court ever, like pulling into court and say, you're guilty of coveting. How would you even know? How would you even know? The other ones, like I said, adultery, murder—it'd be pretty easy to find out if you, like, if, if you're like, did I murder somebody? How did, yeah, that person. Okay, yeah, it'd be easy to know if you've done that or not. But how do we know about covenant? The reason it makes it so hard is because a lot of the other, a lot of the other commandments in the Ten Commandments have to do with right actions. You're the right behavior—not not not killing, not stealing, not lying. But when it comes to coveting, it has to do with our heart. And this commandment is actually a lot, probably 1,500 years ahead of its time. If you read in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter chapter 5 through 7, Jesus gathers people around him on this mountain, and he had this sermon. uh, One of my favorite uh, parts of the Bible, Matthew 5 through 7, another favorite of mine is James. Love all of James. But in Matthew chapter 5, he pulled everybody around him and said, he started talking about the Ten Commandments. One thing he said was, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, he says, you know what? It's more than just the actions. I want the heart. Jesus says, but I tell you, don't even get angry with somebody. He said, I want to stop before the action. I want to stop it. I want your heart completely sold out to God. Something else he says, you have heard that it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, I'm gonna raise the bar. It's more about our relationship with God than it is having a bunch of rule followers. But I tell you, if anyone lusts after another person, they have already committed adultery with them in their heart. So this this commandment, like I said, is like fifteen hundred years ahead of its time because it's already getting to the heart of the matter, what is in here. Now, while I'm already here talking about Matthew chapter 5, this next Sunday, we're going to start another sermon series. Uh, Devin will be back, and he will be uh, starting us in on the sermon series called Blessed. It covers the first part of Matthew chapter 5, like I said, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Jesus sits down and just kind of lays things out, word for word, the way they are, and how living a godly life will lead to blessing. But it may not be exactly what you think it is. I'll let that sit right there. So, back to the 10th commandment. Do not covet it. Do not covet. It doesn't focus on right actions. It focuses on the heart. And for that reason, it's about 1,500 1500 years ahead of Jesus' teaching, and it's time. All right. So, because it's a heart issue... You know, it's not easily proved in a, in, a, in a maybe in a court or like you can't just see that on the on the outside. How do we determine if we do have a coveting issue? If we do have a, a problem with the yearning for something else that we thought we might seek fulfillment from? Um, perhaps you've heard of Kansas' slogan. Uh, you, may, you may not have heard it, but uh, Kansas is uh, referred to as the Land of Oz. The Land of Oz. I think America should be called the Land of Ur's. Because a a lot of us here, all the time we're just being spoken to, we we need to be richer, smarter, prettier, sexier. All those things we need more of. We're, We're blasted with it day in, day out from every different angle. There's a commercial on TV that says, you know what? Your family will be happy just like this family's happy if you guys go here. Or on a billboard, right? You're driving, you're like, you need this car your car is two years old, you need a new one. Or, I don't know about you, if, if I look for anything on Amazon, for like the next month, on every web page I go to, it's like, hey, you looked at this on Amazon, you want this right now. No, really, buy it. I'm like, dude, lay off. I, if I would have bought it, if I, if I wanted it. And you know what? Someone brought up to me this last service. If you look at Facebook, Facebook is like a highlight reel of people's life. And people really only show you what they want to see. The more we look at it, we're like, man, they have a good marriage. Man, they have, they have way better kids than we do. Where'd they get those kids at? Well, I, I know what they're like. No way they get kids good enough for that. Or, or maybe they, man, they're going to all these cool places. But if Facebook was real, it'd be like, all right, here's a picture of me who just woke up in the morning and my hair's all askew, no makeup on. If we're being real with Facebook, the, the, the person also told me, she said, you know what? You know why it's greener on the other side? Because they're using manure, right? <laughs> when it came to Facebook. So all along, we're being blasted from every, every angle to say, you know what? We need more in our life. We need to be richer, smarter, better looking. All those things, and, and it, it doesn't seem to, to, to end. The yearning for Ur er doesn't seem to end. And we're always seeking fulfillment in the err, but never satisfied. We're seeking fulfillment through other people, more stuff, better opportunities. And in the short term, when we get that, we're like, ah, yeah, that's great. That's all I needed. But it falls flat, and we're left unsatisfied. And it's truth that we know in our hearts. Seeking fulfillment never satisfies seeking fulfillment, never satisfied. But, but people in America seem to struggle with it. I, I want to tell you, I just want to just show you how much in-depth we are to this coveting issue. Northwestern Mutual uh, came out with a study. And in this study, it, it, it talks about how much in debt we are. We're, we're internally indebted. And the average personal debt in America is $38,000 a person. And that doesn't include the house. Non mortgage that's just credit cards cars who who knows it? They went further into the into the study and found out what what is this debt caused by what is this debt caused by and here 's what they came up with some of them it's dining and nightlife, a few of them it's personal hobbies, personal care, clothing, leisure travel, traveling to places, destinations, vacations that they can't afford they just Put it on the card. This one floored me. They said, 2 in 10 Americans spend 50 to 100% of their monthly income on debt repayment. means they get a paycheck in and they just basically give the, the minimum payments towards their debt and they're not making any progress. They're that far underwater. And then this. I mean, shows kind of a love affair that we have with new automobiles. Americans owe $1 trillion on automobiles alone. That one kind of woke me up a little bit, but if these stats don't reach you, maybe you're thinking, hey, "Ah, that's, that's probably California. Yeah, they're kind of weird out there. Well, let's think of something uh, a little closer to home. Uh, this last summer, not this one, but a year ago, um, Crestview Christian Church put on a, uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. And it was uh, nine weeks long. We had 23 families come. And out of the families, uh, we had uh, uh, students who just finished college, uh, students in college. We had um, young families, they just had their first newborn. Uh, we had uh, established families, people who had their kids already move out. We had, we had the range, all from our community, from our church. People came together. And out of the 23 families, 74 credit cards were represented. And that really was surprising to me, but not as so surprising as when, I, when we took a, a poll, is an anonymous poll, I gathered all that information on the first night of how, many, how much um, debt that we have non-mortgage in those 23 families. It was this number right here. Over 1.1 million dollars non-mortgage this is an issue the good news is the great news is by the end of the nine weeks we cut up 27 credit cards we paid down on that big debt over $100,000 and even a year later I'm hearing stories from those families that went through there and, and several of them are saying you know what we have an ending date we know what date we'll be out of debt on It'll be next year at this time. Or it'll be in two years. I mean, phenomenal that they're saying, you know what? We don't need any more err. Err gets us debt. And err doesn't fulfill. One of the, the quotes from Dave Ramsey from this uh, Financial Peace University, I've heard him say it before, but he says this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Right? I see some heads shaking there. It's funny, but... It's definitely sad. Our nation seems to think that we were fulfilled by a newer car, the latest cell phone, picks to the game, a night out of town, a vacation. But with all this yearning, seeking fulfillment never satisfies. But just don't take my word for it. Um, well, let's, let's hear the opinion of uh, what's a person that's widely known as the wisest person who's ever lived. And MSN Money considers this person one of the richest people of all time. In today's dollars, he would be, uh, he would be worth 20 times that of Bill Gates, with a, a net worth of literally $2 trillion. That's King Solomon. So let's jump into the book of Ecclesiastes, right in the middle of it, chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, it's written by King Solomon. Wisest person who ever lived. He accumulated a lot of wealth and he generated this wisdom, wrote it down for the the following generations and we have it today. He says this, and I saw all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So that's it. His entire life, his entire wisdom, he sees all the achievement based off of One thing. Everything that's striving for, the yearning, I just have to get ahead. Man, that person has more than I do. All of that stems from one person's envy of another. Coveting. All that yearning to be richer, prettier, smarter, sexier. All that is coming from coveting. That's seeking fulfillment, but never being satisfied. Always wanting more. Always wanting to get after it. But Solomon gives us a word picture for that lack of satisfaction. And and the the phrase that he uses all throughout Ecclesiastes, it's chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. Think about that. Uh, As a kid, I don't know if you're the same as me, but there's one time I'm like, I bet you I can run faster than the wind. So literally like out in front of my yard or whatever, I would start running the same direction as the wind, and I would hope to feel, not feel the wind on my back. And in Kansas, it just doesn't happen like that, right? <laughs> At the very end, after like, trying several times, I'm like, I ended up sweaty, tired, and frustrated. I'm like, this is not going to happen. That's the, that's the picture he gives us. We're chasing. We're working so hard. We're running so fast. For what? Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's a picture that he's trying to draw for us. Striving for more err will never satisfy. It's meaningless and chasing after the wind. So Solomon goes on to say in, in, in verse 5, he said, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So Solomon's no dummy, right? Wisest man who's ever lived? He says, it, I know what some of you guys are thinking. If striving and working and and pursuing, if that's going to come up empty, if it never satisfies, if it's meaningless, if it's chasing after the wind, then I'm just going to do nothing. And what he's saying is, no. Fools fold their hands and do nothing. Uh, uh, Proverbs was also written by by King Solomon, and it speaks out against laziness just as much as as it does about envying and, and working after meaningless things. What he's saying is, there needs to be a balance. And he shows us that balance in in verse six. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls of toiling and chasing after the wind. So do you you guys see that mental image he's trying to give us? He's saying, all right, many of you guys have what you need. You know what, most of what you want What's the point in working hard and trying to get more and more and more and never fulfilled? It's like, man, take what you got that God gives you and have peace. Better's one hand with tranquility. Have some peace. Like, take what you got, is all the things you need, most of the stuff that you want, and stop. Stop chasing the wind because two handfuls, it never happens. Ever. There's always that new thing. There's always that new phone. There's always that, that newer car model. There's always somebody's marriage that looks better than, than, than yours. All those things are, are, are completely meaningless and we need to have a godly balance. When I was trying to think of, uh, of someone, maybe, uh, that I thought, oh, you know what? I feel like they had two handfuls felt like they had two handfuls, but still, it wasn't enough. Um, I think back to uh, college time. Uh, after my junior year, I, I uh, got a, an internship at a, uh, in Irvine, California, at a church out there. And there's this family, man, they blessed my socks off. They let me stay in their house. They hosted me for the entire summer. Um, they fed me for an entire summer. I, I owe them a lot. They had a great house. A big house in the wealthiest county of, uh, of America, Orange County. They had two luxury cars in the, in the driveway. They couldn't even fit them in the garage because inside the garage was a speedboat. It was at an angle because it was so big it could barely fit in. Um, the oldest, uh, he was probably just going into, into high school. He had several uh, surfboards, many of them. Um, and I was like, what does your dad do? So, well, he works uh, for a joint project between uh, Boeing and NASA, and what he's trying to do is uh, design a, spa- a, a unmanned space shuttle that goes up, delivers the um, uh, the satellite, and then comes back down to Earth unmanned. I'm like, that's impressive. He was at home that summer for a couple weekends because he was in Arizona working, and just with a, a small conversation with uh, the grade school son, uh, the younger son. I kind of discovered that the grade school son, he would have been fine with one handful and his father. Friends, the the reality is, it's just not that one family that struggles with this. It's a lot of us. And I I don't want you to answer this right now, but I want you to take it home and consider it. Think about it. How many handfuls has God given me? And is that enough? Be honest with yourself. Do you find yourself wanting that bigger paycheck, that raise, that newer job, that newer marriage? Do you find yourself wanting that that latest model of phone or just these clothes, man, they would just, I'd feel so much better if I just had these. Be honest with yourself. Do you have one and and peace? Or is there that need for more in your life? As we begin to wrap up our time today, I want want to read one of the most popular verses of the Bible, and not John 3.16, but it's actually called Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It, It may sound very, very familiar. I hope it is. It's Like I said, it's one of the most popular ones, most quoted. And also, I'll tell you, it's probably one of the most out-of-context verses ever used. So I want to just back up just a little bit to verse 10 and read it in context so we kind of know what we're getting at here. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So listen. Paul's a man that uh, he knew how to live life. He, he lived it in the highs, he lived it in the lows. and some of the lows that he experienced, I've never experienced. The Bible says that he went and was beaten. It was flogged five times with 40 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods," he said. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked, and on one of those shipwrecks, he got bitten by a viper. It goes on to say, Paul says, you know what? I, I, I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from Jewish people, Gentiles, in the city, in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers, all those things. He says, you know what? I've done all those things, and I got a secret. It makes me want to lean in a little bit. It makes me want to say, all right, uh, you don't have a posh life. Maybe you did at one point in time, but it's not now when you're telling me this from jail, perhaps? I want to know what your secret is, Paul. And it's found in these two last verses here. It says, I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I like how the NIV handles this verse a little bit better. It's not... I can do all things, like, you know what? I can do everything in the world. The all things, the all this he's referring to is I can do, I can do f- uh, five times being beaten and flogged. I-, I-, I, can, I can do all this, which is being shipwrecked and beaten and thrown in prison and, and, and unjustly tried. I can do all this because of this, and that's, through him, through Christ. Because he knows the only thing that's going to bring fulfillment in life is Jesus. Everything else will, will come up uh, false. Everything else will not satisfy. So I want to let you in on Paul's secret right here. Seeking fulfillment outside of Christ never satisfies. He knows the only way will be fulfilled is through Christ. Everything else is empty. So several of you know uh, that just a little over a year ago, uh, my mom had passed away. And that that came after decades of an autoimmune disease. Left her tired every single day. The, the last uh, months, 18 months, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and it, it had spread all over inside of her. Um, for the last few months, she was in, in constant pain. Um, she couldn't breathe well. She couldn't eat well. And, and uh, I can remember a conversation that I had with my mom uh, just a few days before she passed. I called her up and like I usually did, I called her up and uh, tried to make her laugh or smile. And and then I I asked her the question. It was a hard question to ask. I said, Mom, how are you? Hard question because I I knew her circumstances. I, I knew her life. I didn't know how she was going to answer me and she said Jared I'm as content as I've ever been I think she knew the secret all she needed was Christ now this morning I I don't want to leave here without telling you that you too can have that contentment that fulfillment in your life. But it's only gonna come from Christ. I tell you, if I can have a conversation with you, if I can just chat with you, if you're wanting to know a little bit more about who he is and what he's done for us, how he's taken the punishment for our sins upon himself so we can come together with God and have true fulfillment, I wanna do that. I'll, I'll be out by the prayer room in the lobby. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to come uh, right now and confess. I want to ask for forgiveness for uh, chasing things that don't matter. For yearning for uh, what we think is going to be happiness. But Lord, it just ends up empty and, and not satisfying. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for providing a way for us that we can be truly satisfied, truly fulfilled, and forever. That when we make you first in our life, we won't have any other needs because you're it. We can be content whether whatever the circumstances. Lord Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.